Go ahead and let the blood of Jesus cover your heart right now. Begin to thank Him for that blood. Begin to thank Him for that sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. But the good news is there was a shedding of blood. Come on, that atonement for our souls. That covering. That purging. That washing. That cleansing. That regeneration. That restoration. That reconciliation. I thank you, Jesus. Come on, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. Go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost for just a moment longer. Hey, I love you, Jesus. Come on, the blood speaks better things. Come on, somebody, the blood speaks better things. Hallelujah. The blood speaks better things than your friends. The blood speaks better things than your abusive family. The blood speaks better things in this world. The blood speaks better things. Go ahead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Let's begin to say thank you to Him. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. I'd ask everyone to make your way back to your seats. I'm not killing the Spirit. I promise you we're walking in the Spirit. God's going to give you another opportunity to tap in. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the Holy Ghost. This district is blessed, not just with talented musicians, but anointed musicians, and I give honor to them. I also want to make this statement and get into the Word. That I want to make sure all of us show our appreciation to all camp staff, those that are working behind the scenes, those that are cooking, you better make sure that you tell them thank you. What they're doing is ministry. It is awesome. And you would do wise and you would do well to one day do the same thing, not down the road. Don't pursue a pulpit. Don't pursue a position. Pursue service. And I give honor uh, to, to Brother Longcore and then Michael and John back there and others that are serving uh, I, 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 I know how a church works and how a district operates uh, just as a pastor and as a district leader. And I just want to say thank you to all of you out there that do that. And they, they, I mean, they built, they set this whole thing up while you guys were, you know, out playing and things like that. And if I understand correctly, I think Brother Akers has like 22 of the saints here or something like that. And half of them are serving and doing that. Brother Akers, what an awesome church. I'm sure there's other pastors doing that, but. I was just kind of asking some of the camp staff around here what church you're part of. I, I kept seeing that reoccurring name. So what an awesome church. I'm not saying other churches aren't awesome, but I'm sure all of y'all are awesome. Amen. We're going to go to the book of Judges, chapter 13. You can remain seated. I'm going to do something different. And trust me, there are other things I'd rather preach for a camp setting. But I do feel very strong 
to communicate what I'm about to communicate to you. And I've never preached this outside of our church. And uh, so I don't know how it's going to come across, to be honest with you. Other than I know I'm obeying the Holy Ghost. And so you're going to probably be bored for the first 99% of it. But at the close of it, you're going to be thankful. Because there's going to be a confirmation. And there's going to be a witness of the Holy Ghost. And God is going to do something amazing. I'm not here to preach hype. I'm here to give you hope. And I'm not, I'm not here uh, intimidated or pressured at all to get a response out of you. That's just not the kind of person I am. I'm comfortable in my skin. It might be quiet like it is this whole time for the next few moments. But I'm okay with that. Because I know God is about to do something in this place. So I want you to have your Bibles open. If you didn't bring your Bibles, you must have not been at youth convention. Because everyone that was at youth convention made some commitments to bring their Bibles everywhere they go. You know, when your Bible's too inconvenient to carry around, there's, that's kind of weird. Anyways, maybe I should just talk about that for a little bit. Judges 13, 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren. Bare not. She could not have kids. See, every miracle begins an impossibility that you just have to be blind enough to receive for we walk by faith and not by sight we walk by faith not by feeling verse 3 the angel Lord appears to his wife and he says look you're barren you have no kids you can't have kids but you're gonna have a son verse 4 says now therefore beware with every miracle there is an obligation there's some responsibility there's some accountability call of God, ministry of God, whatever thing God wants to manifest in your life, there is some things you have to be aware of. He says, do not drink wine nor strong drink. Eat not any unclean thing. Below, you're going to conceive, you're going to bear a son. No razor is going to come upon his head. The child's going to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he's going to be the one that's going to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. A woman, she went out and told her husband, like, man, you're not going to believe this. But an angel came. It was amazing. It was awesome. And he told me what was going to happen. But he never told me his name. And so she begins to explain to him in verse 7 that I'm going to have a son. And I'm not supposed to drink anymore. I'm not supposed to have any strong drink. i got to stop touching unclean things. Because this baby boy that miraculously is going to be given to us is going to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now, a Nazarite, I'm sure many of you know, but for those who are, may not be aware of it, was a, a higher level of consecration to God. There are all the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, that would keep the commands of God, but there was a segment of people that would take on this vow or this commitment, this consecration to the Lord, saying, I know this is how... Everyone else is living for God, but I want to live at a higher level of consecration and separation for God. You know, they couldn't drink any uh, wine. They couldn't be around vineyards. They couldn't be around dead bodies. They couldn't touch unclean animals. All this stuff. And so when the wife hears this, she tells her husband, and the husband tells her, look, that's nice, but 
I want to talk to the angel. I want to hear from the angel myself. The angel reappears, but doesn't reappear to him or reappears to his wife. And the wife's like, uh, my husband kind of wants to talk to you. And uh, the angel says, fine, fine, go get the dude. And so uh, the, the man, Manoah, asks the angel, what would you tell my wife? And would you know that the angel told him exactly what he told his wife? Now this is how the Holy Ghost spoke to me concerning this. I'm not saying this is exactly what happened, but this is just the vein in which my mind began to ponder. Is perhaps Manoah had this little hope that his wife misheard the angel. Perhaps it was because he knew the cost that was going to come with raising a Nazarite from the womb. Because to live as a Nazarite is a difficult thing. It's difficult. But to raise a Nazarite as a child is a struggle. But to prepare a Nazarite from conception at a whole other level it's never been done before. It's incredible. And so this boy was to live a Nazarite from the womb to the tomb. From the moment of conception, everything in their life was about to change. I personally believe, again, just a prompting that Manoah knew the cost of raising a son as a Nazarite. And it wasn't just the boy that would have to live different. It was the parents that would have to exemplify the difference. Manoah had to come to terms with this. My kid is never going to fit in. Not with the Philistines and not even with the Pentecostals. There's a statement and, you know, it's kind of a play on words and I... I'll just say it like this, and I think you might pick up what I'm putting down. You got Pentecostals, and you got Apostolics. Pentecostalism is all over this world. But there's some Pentecostals that live at a higher level of consecration. Manoah knew my home lifestyle is about to change. So maybe he wanted to think, I hope my wife misheard from the angel. I got to hear from the angel myself. There are deeper levels of consecration that God is inviting us to. But listen to me, they require a remodel. No longer can Manoah have a vineyard. No longer could him and his wife drink. No longer could they participate in unclean activity. No more unclean animals. They could no longer attend friends and family's funerals. Are you saying it's a sin to attend a funeral? No. I'm just saying God invited them to a deeper level of consecration. No more worldliness or average Judaism or average Christianity or average church. Their parents in this world that simply want their kids to fit in and we as young people as teenagers it's not uncommon for you want to fit in or to be popular or to be liked and there's parents also and some of you maybe have them don't raise your hand and don't indicate it please that they're trying to live their life through your popularity and through your success 
If you're a parent here today, don't try to live your life through your kid. I'm comfortable with silence. I'm going to be all right. But maybe Manoah didn't want a home remodel. But see what happened after he heard from the angel. There was a miraculous manifestation. That angel and that sacrifice, that fire. And after that miraculous manifest through the angel, they finally agreed. And because they agreed, they conceived. If you would agree with what God is calling you to be, you're going to conceive what God wants you to be. Can we lift our hands for just a moment? We're going to move forward here, but I want us to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Can you begin to ask God to unplug your ears? Can you begin to pray, God, take the scales off of my eyes and help me to see in the Spirit, help me to see in the Holy Ghost what you're about to do in this place. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, help us be sensitive. Lord, I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven, roll back the roof of this church. I pray you fixate a ladder between heaven and earth. And I pray the angels of the Lord would ascend and descend upon this place, God. I pray the witness of the Spirit would be in this house. And I pray, God, that you would call us to higher levels. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by my might and not by my power, but by your Spirit, I speak it by faith. In Jesus' name, someone clap your hands to the Lord. Remain with your Bibles open. And I want us to continue to read this story of Samson. I'm going to move slow, and I know I'm moving slow. But let's just be patient. That woman, in verse 24, she bare the son. She called his name Samson. And look at this. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Someone say, a child grew. Tap your neighbor, say, the Lord blessed him. Isn't it amazing the benefits on the life of a youth when the parents obey God? See, this lifestyle separation and holiness did not hinder that youth. It only kindled that youth. It only grew that youth. It only blessed that youth. There's no, I'm telling you, the worst aged person you can meet is someone that's never come out of sin. I was just telling a brother here a little bit ago, I was in Florida at a, uh, an event and uh, my wife and I went for some ice cream afterwards and we went into this small retirement community where all these wealthy people retire and there was some there was some live music going on and we just went and investigated as we went out there for ice cream and it was just all like 70, 80 year olds acting like teenagers. I, I can't exaggerate this. If I had a video, I know I actually wouldn't project what I saw. I have never seen a grandparent, great-grandparent do what I saw. I'm, they must have got new hips or something and trying them out. I have never seen. I, I, I'm telling you, I, you could ask my wife if you think I'm exaggerating. I'm, this lady was upper 60s. She was dancing, and she dropped and did the splits. They must have been new bionic hips. I don't know. And there's men with oxygen tanks. They're, hard, they're about to go into cardiac arrest because they are just acting like fools. I, I cannot explain what I saw that day. It was nuts. But see, living a life of separation to God, there's blessings and there's benefits. Sin does not age well. It corrodes, it decays. We read here in verse 25, look at this. 
the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. Don't we love the moving of the Spirit? At times in the camp. Someone say at times in the camp. See, as long as the parents kept their boy in church and church functions, their child would experience unctions. The Spirit moved Samson, young Samson, at times in the camp. If I was your parent, I'd make certain you came to every youth camp. You, you can count on it. The Spirit is going to move upon young people at times in the camp. When the day comes and you think you could talk your parents not attending, talk your parents out of you attending the camp, you are making a grave mistake. The Spirit moves upon young people at times in the camp. The Spirit moves and inspires youth at times in the camp. Many of you have heard the call of God in your life at times in the camp. Many of you laid some things down in the past at last camp. Many of you have experienced powerful moves of the Holy Ghost at times in the camp. How many are thankful that your district and your leadership make sure that they put all the time, the money, the effort, the sacrifice to have a segment, a moment in this summer for you to have times in the camp. For at times in the camp, the Spirit of God begins to move and hover amongst young people, begins to call them and distinguish them, anoint them and appoint them. There ain't no camp like youth camp. Well, I don't know. I won't have enough money for band camp and youth camp. Youth camp. I won't have enough money for sports camp and youth camp. It ain't even a. It ain't even a, a comparison. Youth camp. Verse one, chapter fourteen. Look at this. Samson goes to Timnath. He sees a woman. Uh-huh. Hey, girl. He sees the chick. In verse 12, he goes to mommy and daddy. Oh, there it is. She purred. Verse 3, the parents are like, no, 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 no. You need an apostolic woman. You need a godly woman. You need a woman that's modest. There's plenty of them around. They're beautiful. But look at this in verse 3. Get her for me. She pleases me well. He, he's just interested in the external. Proverbs eleven twenty two, As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman without discretion. You're looking at the most shallow part of the big. Thirty-one thirty of Proverbs favors deceitful beauty is vain, but a woman that fears God, she's worthy. She's worthy to be complimented. See, the Spirit moved at times at camp. But unless the Spirit moves in your daily life, pitfalls lie wait for you. Right after camp, he saw the woman. I love camp. 
powerful. It's awesome. But success will be gauged right after it can. You all got with it at youth convention. I mean, you hated me for the most part of it until, like, you know, God worked you over, and you're like, oh, uh, your preaching was okay. But I ask you, have you did, did have you done anything I preached to you about at youth convention? The spirit moves at youth convention. The spirit moves at times in the camp. But right after camp, he saw oh girl. You okay? See, daily devotions must be in place for every disciple in this house. Backsliding's an ever small slip in the wrong direction till eventually you are miles away. Samson had what you would call a slow fade. I don't know how it happened, whether his parents let up on correction or he let up on his consecration or it was a mutual understanding between Samson and his parents. But you look at the slow fade in the aftermath recorded in Scripture, it's as follows. I'm going to read it for you. I jotted this down. This is... This is the order of what happens in Samson's life here. He lusts after a woman not serving God right after camp. He argues with his parents about it. Look, kids, you need to slow your roll. Man, if I would have gave my mama a lip, I had no teeth. You don't need to be talking back to mom and dad. That's just Bible, but what does God know? So he argues with his parents. He disobeys his parents. And so now look at this. In verse 5, he and his parents are at the vineyards of Timnath. They weren't supposed to be there. They were Nazarites. You're not supposed to be near any vineyard. Well, I'm not drinking. You're not, you're not supposed to be near any vineyard. And then here the attack of the line occurs where he never should have been. There's battles you fight that you never would have had to fight if you never would have been where you should never have been. We like Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But see, some of you still wrestle flesh and blood when you're not supposed to wrestle flesh and blood. You should have crucified it a long time ago. You should have died out to it a long time ago. If you're wrestling flesh and blood, you'll never begin to wrestle principalities and the prince of the powers of the darkness, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. You have to crucify the flesh if you ever want to be a mighty warrior in the Holy Ghost and begin to have spiritual warfare. You all okay? We like the story of Samson ripping that line in two, but he never would have had to have that battle if he would never have went to that woman after church camp. To the vineyards after church camp. He kills that lion. He hides it from his parents. And that's how it works. When you sin, when we desecrate what we consecrate, secrecy arises. That's what, When you're secret about your life, that, that should be a huge red flag for you. When you start keeping information back from your mom and dad, you keep information back from your youth pastor, you keep information back from your pastor. So, Samson intermarries. Wasn't supposed to do that. 
I mean, he just got out of camp for crying out loud. Hanging around vineyards, lusting after women. But one thing leads to another. Now he intermarries because he wants her so bad. But he's trying to do it the right way. Well, at least I ain't fornicating. I am in premarital sex. We waited. We kept ourselves. You're still unequally yoked. You could justify anything. So, Samson touches the dead lion. Another no-no for a Nazarite. Samson eats from the dead corpse of the lion. Check this out. Then he feeds his parents his disobedience. Doesn't tell his parents where it came from. And that's how it works. We try to win our parents over. And you be careful when you start trying to get your parents involved with your rebellion. Trying to get them to justify your rebellion. To taste and see your rebellion. Well, mom, it's not that bad. You know, it's, it's, it's just a few cuss words in the movie. Let's watch this to get our family movie. Yeah. So now, they're surrounded by a drinking event at this wedding. And at this drinking event, possibly Samson and his parents are drinking. We don't know. But you can safely guess or assume. And Samson makes light of touching a dead lion. He makes a riddle out of it. He makes a game out of it. He makes a light of it. I remember being at one church camp and the kids were, uh, uh, and again, this, this was when I was a wee little lad and I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church. They drug me to camp. They drug me to convention. And uh, and I, I, was, I wasn't living for God and I was doing some stupid stuff, And but they forced me to go. And I remember sitting in the dormitory and I mean, we were all comparing like our sins and we were we were making light of these things. When we make light of sin, be careful. So Samson kills some men after this. Never would have happened if he would have obeyed his parents and, and if it would have happened about his marriage. Then he touches after that a dead donkey and then there's pl plenty of dead Philistines after that. God miraculously helped, gives him strength and he slays a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And then after this victory, he begins to accuse God. God, you... You gave me this victory and you're going to let me die. Look, look how bold-faced Samson's getting. Accusing God of setting him up for failure. But see, you don't just immediately become defiant with God. It's a slow faith. It starts off with defying your parents. Then talking back to your teacher. Then talking back to your pa pastor. And eventually you just get so bold or delusional that you begin to talk back to God. We better establish see, everything, no matter how small the sin, it's a little leaven. That leaven's a whole lump. It's going to grow. It's going to expand. And you just better not let any small thing, no matter how small it may seem, you need to nip it. You need to kill it. You need to crucify it and just be submitted, consecrated, holy unto the Lord. Someone say amen. And so God puts water, claves out a hollow place in the, don the junk, uh, donkey's jawbone, and he drinks water out of that. Samson now drinks life out of death. And then after that, in Judges 16, he just straight up fornicates. Didn't even wait. At least before, you know, maybe we could give him a best case scenario that he waited and got married. Now he's not even married. He's just going to prostitutes now. 
He, wa he wasn't going to prostitutes at camp. He wasn't accusing God at camp. But after camp, without his consecration, without his devotions, he just began to fade further and further away. And then in verse 4 of Judges 16, now he falls in love with sin. At the beginning, it would just look good. And then he interacted with it. And now he's emotionally connected to it. And now in verse 18 and 17 of Judges 16, he gives all of his heart to sin. Let's look at Judges 16 together. I'm, I'm moving. You all okay? Find someone that's asleep and just kind of give them a punch in the shoulder for a second. We're going somewhere. Samson goes to Gaza. He sees a harlot, goes to her, verse 2. And he sleeps with this harlot. And look at this. While he's enjoying himself in sin, the enemy compasses him round about. And the enemy waits for him all night in the gate of, his, of the city. Samson should have never been in the gate of the city. He never should have been in the lap of lust. And now here, as he's there, the enemy waits for him quiet all night. See, when you're sinning, first we're, we're fearful to sin. We're kind of afraid to do some things at first, but after you do them and there's no consequence, then you get confidence. Arrogance. Arrogantly you defy the things of God. Because everything's quiet, everything's okay. I still have strength. I still perform the miraculous. The Spirit has come upon me at times. And, and here I am you know, having sexual relationships and there's no consequence. The enemy, just because it's quiet, doesn't mean the enemy's not within proximity of striking distance. The whole time he is enjoying sin, he's right there in the midst of danger. The enemy sometimes keeps quiet and he doesn't let you feel the impact of sin because as long as you never get out of sin, he's okay with that. Because at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself lost. And that's what the objective of the enemy is to do. And in verse 3, Samson's laying there asleep till midnight. And thank God he arose at midnight and he ripped up the doors of the gate of the city. And see, we could say, wow, what an awesome story. But another thing he never had to do if he would have just been a consecrated, faithful, committed man of God as unto the Lord. The Lord woke him up at midnight. And that's what God does. We see amazing feats of Samson, but all it simply is, is the mercy and grace of God trying to wake you up one more time. Trying to empower you one more time to overcome that enemy. Verse 4. Now he loves a woman named Delilah. Note the emotional pathway. First he solely pursued pleasure, but now he's in love with somebody. Verse 5, y'all okay? And Delilah begins to ask, Samson, wherein does your great strength lie? And by what means can we prevail against you? That we can bind you and afflict you. That is the objective of the enemy. To get close to you, to get emotionally connected to you, and to find out where your strength lies. And then to get you to sell out. 
I want us to pray for just a moment. If we can lift our hands. I'm, I'm, I'm almost where we need to be. I want us to lift our hands. I want you to begin to pray right now. And I want you to begin to ask God to speak to you. The Holy Ghost is here, whether you feel it or not. God, His very presence is hovering through this room right now. Come on, lift up your voice, young person. Just pray for a moment. Someone say in Jesus' name. Where does your great strength lie? How can you be prevailed against and how can you be afflicted? And Delilah begins to talk to Samson in verse 6 and says, Please tell me, where does your great strength lie? How can you be bound and afflicted? And Samson foolishly in verse 7 says, Well, if they get some, you know, some green uh, whips and begin to tie me up, they've never been dried. Then I'll be weak and I'll be just like everyone else. I'll be like another man. So the lords of the Philistines bring her seven green whips and begin to tie. She ties up Samson. And as she ties him up in verse 9, there are men lying in wait, awaiting in her chamber. And she says to him, the Philistine, Oh, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. However did they get here? Oh. Stupid. So he rips up those whips and he whoops those dudes. Then after that, in verse 10, Oh, Samson, you mocked me. You're lying and you're the You tell me, how can we kill you? So verse 11, if you bind me fast with new ropes that were never used before, I'll be weak and I'll be like another man. Delilah gets some new ropes, ties him up. Samson, Samson, however did the Philistines get in my house? They be a pony again. Samson rips those ropes and whoops those dudes again. Verse 13. Oh, Samson, you're mocking me. You're lying to me. The third time, he goes, okay, if you would just begin to weave my hair into seven, at least seven locks, if you would do that, I'll be weak and like another man. Inch by inch, closer, 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 closer. And all of a sudden, Oh, Samson, the, the Philistines are back for a three-peat. And then, then he does it. He whoops them. It seems absolutely crazy. I mean, you think after three times, he'd take a hint. But his love for pleasure was greater than his soul in danger. We like John 3.16, don't we? God so loved the world. Or just read a couple verses later. This is the condemnation of the world. Light has come into darkness. And men love darkness more than light. His love for pleasure was greater than the danger of his soul. 
We must be careful. I personally believe every time that he fell for that trap of the enemy, it was just the mercy and the grace of God. Just reminding him what happened at camp and letting what happened at camp come upon him one more time for one more victory to hopefully let the light bulb come on and say, okay, enough is enough. The enemy is not my friend. No matter how pretty the enemy is, no matter how funny the enemy is, no matter how popular the enemy is, no matter how enticing the enemy is, no matter how fun the enemy is, enough is enough. I've had one warning. I've had two warnings. I've had three and each time the enemy tries to steal, to kill, and destroy. But every time the Spirit of God comes upon me, I have been given the victory. I have been triumphant. Your eyes have to be opened up. What God does for you when His Spirit comes upon you. And what the enemy does when His Spirit comes upon you. And in verse 16 of Judges, she pressed him daily with her words. She urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. And his soul really was so close to death. And in verse 17, it happens, the breaking point. He tells her all his heart. I'm a Nazareth. I'm an apostolic. I've been raised this way. From my mother's womb, this is all I've ever known. If I be shaven, my strength will go for me. And I will be weak. And I'll be like every other person on this planet that's not lived this life of consecration. In other words, if you cut off my consecration, you cut off my source of power. Cut off my consecration and I'll be weak like every other denomination. I'll be weak like every other movement. I'll be weak like every other average person on this planet. Delilah saw that he was truthful, shared all his heart. She calls for the Philistine and says, hey, this is the moment, this is the moment, this is the time. They give her the money in verse 19. She causes him to sleep on her knees. She calls for a man and causes that man to shave off the seven locks of his head. Someone say the seven locks of his head. And she says, the Philistines are back, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep. And look at him. I will go out as other times before. And I'll do like I did at every other church camp and shake myself. That's not where our power lies. There is power in praise. But that's not wherein our power lies. You might juke, jive, swing around this place and roll all over the grass and snot and shake, but without consecration, you cannot shake off the adversary as when you are at times 
in the camp. And he did not even know that the Lord departed from him. And the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to remove your vision. He wants to remove that which God is trying to show you. And the enemy wants to bring you down and to bind you. That which the enemy did to Samson, that's what Samson was supposed to do to the enemy. He was supposed to bring the kingdom of the enemy down. He was supposed to bind the strong man. He was supposed to uproot the gates of the city. He was supposed to make sure that the gates of hell will not prevail. And this is what I've come to preach to you. It's 9 o'clock and I'm not going to be much longer. I said all that to say this. Of what I'm preaching to you tonight. The seven locks of consecration. I'm going to go through them fast. And each one I can easily spend a long time on. But I want you to jot these down. I don't know if they're recording this. If they're not, then I can share this with your youth president. And if he wants to share that with you, he can. But these are the seven locks of consecration. Number one, the Word of God. We don't just believe it. We read it. And we don't just read it. We study it. And we don't just study it. We internalize it. And we just don't internalize it. We externalize it. You have to have that lock of consecration upon your head. You have to be a person of the word. I'm not going to re-preach what I preached at youth convention. But if you weren't at youth convention and they recorded that, you need to revisit that. We need a revival of the Bible in our generation. We need students that internalize the word of God and externalize what the word of God has decreed. Number two. The second lock of consecration is prayer. Once more, I will not repeat everything I've talked to you about at youth convention, but prayer. We don't just talk about God. We talk to God. And we just don't talk to God. We talk with God. And we don't just talk with God. We listen to God. And we actually hear God. Daily prayer. Daily prayer. Look, if you begin to miss daily Bible reading and daily prayer, it's a slow fade. It's one lock nipped off at a time. One piece of consecration removed from your head at a time. See, Samson, all the foolishness he did on the readings that we just read, his strength still remained because he still had one lock of consecration left. And that's what the enemy does. He removes one element of consecration at a time until he gets to the last one. And when he removes your last stance in your life with God, you become weak like other men. Number three, the third lock of consecration is church. We don't just claim to be the church, we attend church. You need to be faithful to the house of God. And I know those three things I preach at youth convention, so I'm not going to expound on them. But you need to have those three things in your life. Number four, this lock of consecration. You have to get this revelation. If you do not have a a personal revelation of the mighty God in Christ, we don't just believe that Jesus was a part of God. 
but that Jesus is God. Jesus is not just the Son of God. He is the Father incarnate. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. See, what separates this movement from other movements is we don't believe Jesus just to be a great teacher, a great preacher. I believe the history of Jesus, but I believe the mystery of Jesus. I don't believe just in historical Jesus. I believe great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest If you do not have that revelation, you're going to struggle as an apostolic. You're going to struggle as a Nazarite. See, the apostle Paul was dragged out of the city after they tried to celebrate and sacrifice to him. They stoned him to death, left him for dead. But he got out of that pile, that rubble of rocks, went back to the same city and encouraged the saints. He encouraged them. And we all are discouraged because oh, they didn't ask me to preach. They didn't ask me to lead worship. Oh, I'll never get They never asked me to do events. Uh. But Paul, after being rejected and stoned, left for dead, gets up out of that rubble and encourages them. But see, he was able to do that because he had revelation of who Jesus was. He had a personal revelation. No matter how many people reject this, I know in whom I have believed. I know him. I know him. I know him. You got to get that revelation yourself. I thank God that you can repeat what's been preached, but you better get that revelation yourself. Number five, the fifth lock of consecration. Jesus named baptism. We don't just believe that Jesus named baptism is a part of church membership. But we believe that you won't make heaven's membership without it. You must be born of water and spirit. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Peter, he went on to say that, look, just like Noah and his family in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now you got to get a revelation of Jesus' name baptism. you got to get that revelation. Okay? The sixth lock of consecration. Holy Ghost baptism. We don't just believe that you should feel the Spirit, but we believe that you must be filled with the Spirit. Feeling the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit are two separate experiences. And you need to experience both, but you better get that baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. You will know when you receive the Holy Ghost when you speak in other tongues. If you are here and you have yet to speak in other tongues, I feel so strong in the Holy Ghost that, that either tomorrow or the day after is going to be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this place. And God is going to baptize people with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're not like other movements. We believe in the essentiality of baptism in Jesus' name. And we believe in the essentiality of receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Number seven. The seventh lock of consecration is a lifestyle of holiness. We believe in come as you are, but we do not practice stay as you are. Transformation. I'm talking about wherein our strength lies. Samson lost his strength when he cut out the last stance of consecration in his life. When all seven locks were removed from his head, he became weak as other people. The Spirit of God moves upon us at times in this camp. 
Those seven locks of consecration I'm talking, there's other elements in the Word of God that we need to hold on to, that we need to hold fast to. But listen to me. We have to get a revelation of these consecrations. We got to hold dear to everything that's been preached to us. Everything that's been handed down to us. You have to get it personally. And you're not too young to get it. You guys know some pretty complex things. This is not too above level. See, it's it's too late when they start teaching Spanish in high school. They all, they did not miss the boat. They should have started teaching that second language in kindergarten, first grade. When we start thinking that now that you're teenagers, you can understand doctrine, we're missing the boat. And I know that some of you may not know the doctrine very well, but you better get it now. Because the older you get, the more stubborn you get. Open up your heart and open up the Word of God and begin to pray Psalm 119 verse 18. Open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God, expound revelation to me. Holiness. Holiness is not homeliness. Holiness does not keep us back from growth. Holiness is not an option. Holiness is not, well, do you want a medium fry? Or do you want a large fry? Or do you want to supersize that? That is not what holiness is. Without holiness, we cannot see the Lord. Without holiness, we lose our strength. Our strength lies in these consecrations. Our strength lies in our gender distinction. Our strength lies in our modesty. Our strength lies in our shamefacedness. Our strength lies in our uncut hair, ladies. Our strength lies, men, when you cut your hair. Our strength. I grow weary of events. That don't take a stance on holiness. This is a lock of consecration where our power lies. Our holiness makes us strong. Women, when you dress modest and not provocative, your strength in that. Women, I know you might be a guest here and you are at camp for your first time and you may not understand what I'm saying, but I want you to know, read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when it talks about in verse 15, that your hair has been given to you for a covering. The Bible says in verse 10, there's power on your head because of the angels. The Bible says it's a shame for a woman to cut her hair. Look, if I get fired for preaching holiness at events, I don't care because I'm not here to get invited places. I'm here to preach where our strength lies. Our strength lies in these stances. Our strength lies in our purity. Our strength lies in our separation. I still believe in gender distinction. I still believe women wear dresses and skirts. I still believe men wear pants. I still believe that's the stance that we need to take. I'm not here for applause. I'm here to let you know this is where our strength lies. These seven locks of consecration. He told her all his heart from my mother's womb. This has been passed on to me 
since I was conceived. And if I cut these things out of my life, I will be weak like any other man. Look, you can cut your hair and you can fit in, but you'll be like every other woman. You can grow out your hair because it's the current trend, but you'll be like every other man. We can begin to cross-dress and blur the lines and justify, but we'll be like every other movement. I am not interested in being weak like every other man. I want to be strong for God. I want to live a life that's holy and acceptable unto God. This is my reasonable service. You may be seated. I'm, I'm going to close right now. Listen to the Holy Ghost. I'm talking to people here that you've cut off some of those seven locks of consecration. It's different for everyone in this room. But one lock leads to the other lock. They're all woven together. You start cutting out prayer, you're going to start cutting out the Word of God. You start cutting out the Word of God, you're going to start cutting out church. You start cutting out church, you're going to start, eh, you know, you know, this baptism in Jesus' name, you'll start cutting that lock. That's how it happens. It's a domino effect, line upon line, precept upon precept. You remove one line, you remove the other line. You remove one precept, you remove the other precept. Until that last distinction is the last thread we hang on by. And it's removed. I don't know what lock you're on right now, but we know about the blood of Jesus that we heard last night. And God has forgiven you of your sins, but I'm here to communicate and reach for those that still feel that guilt, that remorse, and you feel weak like other men. And you're thinking, well... I, I knew better, but I snipped my hair. I knew better, but I've been experimenting with my dress. I've been messing around with cosmetics. I've been, I've been messing around with pornography. I've been messing around with things that I watch. I've been messing around. And we got all these things that we're cutting out and that things that we're compromising right now. And there's such a guilt as if I can never get back into this. But listen to the word of the Lord in Romans 11:29. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God still wants wanted to give Samson strength one more time, one more time, one more time, and one more time. And finally, Samson removed everything. And so God let him deal with the consequences of it. And you might be dealing with those consequences right now, but look at Judges 16.22. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow The things that you cut out of your life, God brought you here tonight to let them grow again. 
You haven't been reading your Bible, but God's going to let that grow again. You haven't been praying, but God's going to let that grow again. Some of you have been messing around with doctrine, but God's going to let truth grow again. Some of you have been messing around with these stances of holiness, but God is about to let your hair grow again. God's about to restore. God's about to reconcile. God's about to reinstate. God's about to renew. God's about to... You might feel like you've missed the boat. But God brought you to this camp for the Spirit to move upon you one more time. And God is causing your hair to grow again. You can say, I done missed the boat. I don't know if I can do anything. But hear the word of the Lord at the close of Samson's life. His final effort. His final push for God. He did more in the latter than he did in the former. He did more the second time his hair grew back than he ever did with his original. The Lord spoke into Haggai 2.9, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. I know that you have compromised. I know that you have regrets. I know that you've made some mistakes. But God is causing your hair to grow again. And I believe in this room, there's going to be a generation of people whose hair regrows and consecrations regrow. And there's going to be a rebirth of a revival that this district has yet to see, that's been prophesied to see. This is the generation that's going to get revelation of the consecration that our elders passed to us. And when you reinstate those consecrations, you're going to do more. More than you've ever done your entire life. I'm talking to a young man right now. Come on. Come on, your hair could grow again right now. Your consecration could grow again right now. I'm talking to a young lady. The Holy Ghost is pulling on you right now. No one knows that you've been cutting some of those consecrations. You've been putting your hair up to hide it. But I'm telling you right now, God has just spoken to you. And God's causing your consecration to grow again. We cannot rush this altar call. We cannot push this altar call through. We cannot fast forward this moment. The Spirit of God is coming to you one more time before you cut out that final consecration. Come on, you can't have consecration with your mouth closed. Every mouth ought to be opened up. Every person ought to have a sound of travail from your mouth right now. This is where our strength is. <laughs> this is where our strength is. Go ahead. Go ahead. God. 
Give me strength one more time for this last effort. God, cause my hair to grow again. God, cause my consecration to grow again. Come on, it's not time to throw away holiness. It's not time to throw away the essentiality of Jesus' name, baptism. It's not time to throw away the evidence of the Holy Ghost received by speaking in tongues. We've got to stand for this. We've got to hold on to the apostles' doctrine. Come on, get out of the lap with Delilah. Get out of the lap with Delilah. Get out of that lap. Come on. Come on. By the power and the authority of the word of God. Lord, loose your angels through this place right now. In the name of Jesus. 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 Come on. Come on, we're going to take out the gates of hell. Come on. Our consecrations will pull up the gates of hell. And we're going to conquer the enemy's territory. Say there. Lororo. Berraka. Roko roko tataraka rabaha. Reondo rabatata tasata rakarara. Rebakarara rabaha. Come on women, there's power on your head because of the